Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher, Kevin Connor. For more information, visit kevinconnor.org. So, uh, Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 through to 27. Seventy weeks are determined upon your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command, and to restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous times. And after the sixty-two weeks, reading from New King James here, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood, until the end of the war desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. Now let's turn over to a passage in uh, Revelation chapter 7. And uh, we'll read verse 9 uh, on a little bit here. Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9. After this, I beheld and lo, a great multitude which no man can number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands and cried with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four living creatures and fell down before the throne on their faces and worshipped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and might be unto our God for ever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of, the, out of great tribulation. The New King James has out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God Serve him day and night in his temple, but he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Pray the Lord to bless uh, those two passages to our heart. Now in the last number of weeks what we've been sharing together on uh, some of the apocalyptic events on our first session we particularly looked at uh, uh, the time of the end that we uh, believe we are in the time of the end and the last of the last days on our next session we looked particularly at, uh, at uh, uh, Revelation, not Revelation, Matthew chapter 24 and the midnight hour sort of a, a double, a double uh, banger there that was and then uh, the next couple of weeks we've been looking at Babylon and uh, the tale of two cities and the rebuilding of Babylon and last week we particularly looked at uh, the city of Jerusalem and some of the events that we believe are going to be taking place there in the days that are ahead. Tonight I want to talk about the, um, just for the sake of a title here, the Great Tribulation Period 
but uh, just before we sort of uh, move into it, how many have had any teaching at all or heard any teaching about the tribulation, that there's going to be a great tribulation? How many have had any teaching or heard any teaching of that over the years? All right, uh, second question is, how many have heard that the period of the tribulation is going to be seven years? Uh, what's the general teaching on that? How many have heard about seven years? How many have heard ten and a half years? How many have heard three and a half years? How many haven't heard anything? Well, for those who have not heard anything, blessed are they because you have nothing to unlearn. <laughs> because uh, I had a lot, as I've told you, I had to unlearn. So what I want to talk to, uh, to you tonight about in our apocalyptic series is the Great Tribulation period and uh, what I believe is the duration of it. Now, as I've got on my notes by way of introduction here, uh, over my years there's been, uh, there, there's been different views I've heard. And um, on the period of the Great Tribulation is referred to, and the time, whether it's seven years or ten and a half years or three and a half years, uh, what I've found in my study is that all the different views actually rise out of one's interpretation of Daniel's 70-week prophecy, the notable 70-week prophecy as it's called. So uh, right or wrong, all the different views, all the probably the 50 different interpretations I've read of Revelation particularly, they all go back to the 70-week prophecy and, and in my understanding uh, that the 70-week prophecy is the key to the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation, but it depends how you interpret these things. So uh, on my notes on the introductory here, most expositors believe there will be a period of tribulation called the Great Tribulation preceding the second coming of Christ. Some expositors say seven years, some say three and a half years, some say uh, ten and a half years, put all the three and a half years together. And others say, well, there's no, tri no seven years uh, tribulation or three and a half years, there's always been tribulation uh, on the church. So uh, we have three major views and at the end of the session tonight, I'm going to give you a diagram that I've copied out of Kevin Connor's book uh, in the bookshop there, The 70 Weeks Prophecy. Don't tell him I did that because it is copyrighted that he gave me permission. Uh, so uh, all I need to say is that all the different views, and I'm going to touch on three views tonight, and then to tell you the view that I hold, I won't say we hold, uh, because a lot of we have never had any teaching on these areas, and I personally have sort of kept off eschatological areas, just because of the controversy, and uh, I've always felt, well, people need to get their hearts right with God, get their homes in order, and uh, like some of the, my friends who are pan-millennialists, I say, it'll all pan out, whatever you believe. Uh, so um, that's sort of been my attitude and so I haven't sort of majored on these things uh, purposely for that but we're having uh, 10 weeks indulgence here. Alright, so the first thing if you're taking notes, first thing we want to look at is, the, is just the expression tribulation. Now in the passage we read in, uh, in uh, Revelation chapter 7 uh, in verse 14 or verse uh, 13, one of the elders, that's one of the 24 elders, uh, actually answered saying uh, unto John, uh, what are these which are arrayed in white robes and where do they come from? And John being a very wise apostle, he said, sir, you know, always best to say that. Don't say you don't know or you just say, well, you know. God knows, it's a, that was a very wise answer. So the answer was, he said, these are they which came out of tribulation and uh, according to some of the Greek, Greek experts, uh, the article goes like this, these are they which are coming out of uh, great tribulation or tribulation the great one. 
So tribulation, the great one, and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. All right, the issue is that these are saints. These are believers who are coming out of tribulation, the great one, and have washed their robes, made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So definitely referring to those who are believers. All right, so I want to work through the thought of the word tribulation first of all, and then we look at the period of time. All right, if you're taking down that definition, and uh, this sort of opens up a whole, uh, well, it sort of simplifies things in one way, because sometimes when we hear people say, all right, you're going to go through the great tribulation. Wow, the great tribulation, what is it? All right, the word tribulation simply means, um, it simply means pressure or distress. Pressure or distress. According, uh, that's the biblical meaning from uh, Strong's Concordance, pressure or distress. To distress, it means like to press, to crowd in, or to oppress and afflict. And uh, this uh, Greek word that we're looking at here tonight, uh, tribulation, meaning pressure or, di or distress, uh, to oppress or to afflict, it's translated by several different words, the same Greek word, and it's translated by the word tribulation, or to be afflicted, um, or to have trouble. They're the, they're the main words, mainly affliction and tribulation and trouble. Uh, Webster's Dictionary defines the word uh, tribulation uh, uh, by this meaning. It uh, literally means to thrash or to beat. And uh, when I went to school, I learned a little bit of Latin. Um, David used to say Latin is a language dead as dead could be. First it killed the Romans, now it's killing me. But um, uh, Latin, uh, the, the word for tribulation, the Latin word is like tribulum. And tribulum was an instrument that was used to thrash or thresh the wheat, to get the chaff off the wheat. So tribu tribulum, a, a threshing instrument uh, to get the chaff off the wheat once it was mature. So we have sort of tribulation coming from that. So uh, Webster says in his dictionary, so the uh, word tribulation means to thrash or to beat. So we think of tribulum, a thrashing or a threshing instrument, get the chaff off the wheat. And then he also defines it as severe, severe affliction, distresses of life and vexations. So severe, severe affliction, distresses of life, vexations. But uh, Webster goes on to say, because he was a Christian, uh, in Scripture it often denotes the troubles and distresses which proceed from persecution. So I'll say that one more time. In Scripture it often denotes the trouble and distresses which proceed from persecution. All right, so the word tribulation, so they came out of great pressure, Great distress, great trouble, great affliction, great tribulation. Now, the next thing I want to say, so that's giving a definition of the word and trying to be pretty systematic in teaching here. Uh, the second thing I want you to note here is the, the point of the church in tribulation. And uh, what the Bible teaches us is this, that there's always been tribulation. There's always been tribulation and pressure and distress and affliction against the people of God. Turn over to some general scriptures, uh, first of all. So the church and tribulation, that there's always been tribulation and pressure, affliction and distress against the church, uh, against the people of God. John chapter 16, John 16 and verse 33. And Jesus is talking to the uh, disciples just before uh, his crucifixion here. He says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. 
but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So it's just a general statement from Jesus. In the world, you will have tribulation. You'll have pressure. You'll have trouble. You'll have affliction. You'll have persecution. You'll have pressure. That's what Jesus is saying. So in the world, so there's always been pressure. And Jesus goes on in, in other chapters there, uh, back to chapter 16 and verse 2. Uh, he says, they, they shall put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming where whosoever kills you will think that he's actually doing God's service. And we see the persecution that uh, the apostles and the early believers went through in the book of Acts, the tribulation. Turn to um, Matthew chapter 13. The, these verses I'm giving you are just on the fact that the church and believers will always experience pressure, trouble, affliction, tribulation. Uh, that's a, that's a, a general church history. All right, Matthew 13 and verse uh, 21. And here Jesus is giving the parable of the sower and the seed. And when he talks about the, uh, the next ground, in verse 20, he says, He that received the seed into stony places, the same is he that hears the word, and anon with joy receives it, yet he has no root in himself, but he lasts for a little while, and listen to it, when tribulation or, or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he's offended. So pressure, trouble, uh, uh, tribulation, affliction, opposition, when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word. He says, this is too hot to handle. It's too hard being a Christian. He gets offended. And uh, the offense generally comes uh, through lack of a strong love for the Lord because the psalmist says, great peace of they that love thy law and nothing shall offend them. So the more we love the law of the Lord and love the Lord and his word, Nothing's going to offend us. But uh, this one, stony ground springs up. Say, yeah, this is great. And uh, by and by he's offended when pressure comes on. Acts chapter 14, Acts 14, and verse 22. I'll give you, uh, we'll read one more and I'll give you a couple of other scriptures here. Just on the fact that there is always tribulation. There always has been, always will be, right through to the coming of the Lord. Acts 14 and verse 22. Acts 14, verse 22. And Paul is going back to the churches where they planted churches in Iconium and Antioch and so forth. And so in verse 22, or verse 21 and 22 we'll read, And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra, to Iconium and to Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. And notice, we must through many, the New King James says, we must through many tribulations enter into the kingdom of God. So much pressure, opposition, persecution, trouble, and so forth. So there's plenty of scriptures on the fact that uh, there's all, there'll always be pressure and tribulation and distress upon the church. There always has been and there always will be. All right, the next thing I want you to pick up is this, that though there, are, uh, though there has always been general uh, tribulation, pressure, persecution upon the church, uh, you know, in so many ways, it's more sophisticated in our Western world. The Bible does speak of special times of tribulation, when there's special, a special period of tribulation. Let me just give you uh, two or three scriptures on that, because that's uh, what we're looking at tonight, the Great Tribulation. Uh, before the coming of Christ and the uh, duration of that uh, special time of tri tribulation. Turn to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24. 
And uh, in one of our previous sessions, we looked at Matthew chapter 24 and some of the events there. Jesus departing from the temple, prophesying the destruction of the temple, and then giving a panoramic uh, uh, view of events right through to his second coming. But in Matthew 24 and verse 9, Then they shall deliver you up to be afflicted. And this word afflicted is the same Greek word, uh, thalipso, it has to do with tribulation, trouble, persecution, opposition, pressure. Then they shall deliver you up to be afflicted. It's the same Greek word. And shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Go down to verse 21. And here Jesus adds this adjective to the word tribulation, uh, uh, which, which I believe it refers to a great tribulation. Uh, not necessarily the great one, but verse 21 says, For then shall be great tribulation, not just tribulation, but great, intense, strong, great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. So even though there's been tribulation as a general thing right through church history and even the world on, on, on the church and on true believers, here he says, then shall be great tribulation such as what was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And then in verse 22 he says, except those days be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake those days shall be shortened. Then he goes on to verse 29, and uh, then gives the sign of his coming. He says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun shall be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of, of the heavens shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the power, in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So you'll notice in, in verse 9 it's the word affliction, but it's the same Greek word tribulation. Verse 21, great tribulation. Then verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, singling, singling out a special time. Now, I'll, uh, put down Mark chapter 13 also. Mark 13 uh, on the uh, corresponding uh, account, Mark 13 and verses 19 and 24, Mark puts it this way, but it's the same Greek word, Mark 13, verse 19, for in those days shall be affliction, same Greek word, tribulation, pressure, distress, trouble, persecution, uh, in those days shall be affliction, such as was not from the beginning of the creation, which God created it unto this time, neither shall be. And except the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh should be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he hath chosen, he hath shortened the days. Showing that Jesus is saying, look, there's always been tribulation, but in those days there's going to be great tribulation, great affliction, uh, and, and uh, it'll be nothing uh, compared to all the tribulation from the creation of the world, uh, even whatever will uh, happen after. It was a special time. And then the one I gave, we read in Revelation chapter 11. These are they that are coming out of tribulation, literally the great one. Now, a number of expositors believe that Matthew chapter 24 had a great fulfillment in AD 70 when the Roman armies came in and overthrew the city and burnt the temple and destroyed the city and desolated the land and the people. And I personally believe, you know, the more I've studied some of those texts, that there was a partial fulfillment there. 
In fact, it's interesting to go through Josephus. He says that uh, when uh, Prince Vespasian came uh, in AD 66, then there was trouble back at Rome, so Caesar called him back to Rome with the Roman uh, armies uh, to try and quell the problems that were in Rome. Three and a half years later, Prince Titus came and with the Roman armies destroyed the city, the sanctuary, and desolated the land and the people. So that's significant. There was a period of three and a half years there that uh, Josephus mentioned. So I believe that was a special time for the Jew of a great tribulation. So a special tribulation, that's Jesus referring to that. But it's quite evident that uh, Matthew 24 and Mark 13 were not totally fulfilled because Jesus said immediately after the tribulation of those days, uh, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give a light, the stars of heaven, uh, and they'll see the Son of Man coming. So that period is referring to some period just immediately before the coming of the Lord. So what I'm saying here is that the church has always and will always experience tribulation, but there there have been special times of tribulation that have hit the church. Uh, in the book of Revelation, one of the churches there, the Lord said to the church at uh, Pergamos, I think it was, he said, uh, fear not, you will have tribulation ten days. And if we take uh, the, uh, the day for a year, the prophetic significance of a day for a year, uh, it's interesting to study church history that under ten emperors, the ten great persecutions of the Roman emperors of the early church uh, seems to be a fulfillment of that great period of tribulation. So has uh, fulfillment there, there's no doubt about that. And I think something else, you know, we in the, uh, in the Western world have to keep in mind is this, that I, I personally don't think uh, any of us have really suffered much for Jesus. You know, uh, we, we talk about all the great tribulation and how tough things are, and look at the pressure we're all under, and there's a lot of pressure and stress and distress, uh, and so forth. And, and we will admit that. But uh, go and talk to the believers in Russia who have been slaughtered by the millions under Stalin, and say to them, hey, you want to escape the great tribulation that's coming. And what do you think they'll say to you? Say, yeah, tell me about it. Go to China, where millions and millions of Christians have been and still are being slaughtered for the name of Jesus, and say to them, oh, the Bible says there's going to come a great tribulation. I'm sure they would look at us and say, well, which one? What do you think we're going through now? So we've endured nothing, nothing like that. So we've got nothing to complain about, have we? Uh, you know, our pressures and distresses when we're talking about tribulation. Go to some of the European countries and those who have suffered and the churches that have suffered under dictatorships. Australia's had none of that. Not yet. Hope we don't ever. Uh, ours is more sophisticated. So, you know, when I hear people saying about the Great Tribulation and so forth, say, yeah, go to Russia. Talk to the saints there. Talk to the martyrs that have been killed. Go to China. Go to some of the uh, countries where there's been a dictatorship and the church has just been slaughtered. And uh, go to what's happening in some cases today, even in some Muslim countries where Christians are being crucified upside down. And tell them, well, you're going to suffer tribulation. They'll probably look at you from the cross and say, well, what are you talking about? What do you think I'm going through? How many understand what I'm saying? So we've, we've had nothing of that. 
But I do believe the Bible teaches that there's going to be a great period of tribulation just prior to the coming of the Lord. Now, before I move on to what I believe is the time element here, so I think I've said all I need to on tribulation except one other thing here. So our definition of the word, church has always experienced tribulation. There's been special times of tribulation through church history. We think of AD 70. That was a special time there, persecution done to the Roman emperors. Uh, we think of Russia, China, Stalin, Hitler, some of the things uh, that people have suffered under dictatorships and so forth. They've, they've experienced that far more than we have, even unto death. But uh, the other thought I'd like to add, this is an important thing to keep in mind, and that's the distinction between two words here that I have on my notes, and that is the distinction between the word tribulation and the word wrath. So the great tribulation, if you're taking down notes here, I'd like to put this down, the great tribulation and the wrath of God. Let me just give you sort of a distinction there, because uh, people say to me, well, Kevin, do you believe the church will go through the tribulation? And those who do not believe that say, well, no, the Lord said he's going to preserve us from wrath or wrath, the wrath of God. Okay, there is a distinction. So let me say that is what I believe the Bible teaches on this. Tribulation is the pressure and persecution on the saints from the world system and the devil. Okay, so let me say that again. So tribulation is pressure and persecution in all its different forms of pressure and persecution on the saints or the church from the world system and the devil. We see lots of pressure in America and some of the other countries coming on the church more and more. Pressure on the church, pressure on the church. So pressure and persecution on the saints from the world system and the devil. Now, the difference between tribulation is this. I believe the church will go through the tribulation but we'll be miraculously preserved from it, through it. But the church will not suffer the wrath of God. Okay, let me say the wrath. What is the wrath? Okay, this is our definition. The wrath of God, or the wrath we'll refer to, is Satan's persecution against the saints and God's judgments poured out on the ungodly. I'll give you some scriptures in a moment. So I'll say that again. We need to understand the distinction between tribulation and wrath. So wrath is Satan's persecution against the saints and God's judgments poured out on the ungodly. I'll say that one more time. So wrath is Satan's persecution against the saints and God's judgment poured out on the ungodly. So the church will go through the tribulation, but I believe the true church will be preserved through it but the church will not experience the wrath of God. That's the difference. So let's look at some scriptures on here. I'd like you to turn to, um, uh, let's see how we'll do this. Yes, let's turn to Book of Revelation. And I want you to just put down some of the scriptures on, on tribulation and some of the scriptures on wrath, and you'll see that there is a distinction. So the church will experience tribulation, but it will not experience the wrath of God. That's the difference. So, Revelation chapter 1, 9. These several scriptures are, all have the word tribulation in them. And I'm just taking it from Revelation, watching out time here as always. So, Revelation chapter 1, 9. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation. So, John was already in it on the Isle of Patmos. Not the great one, but in tribulation under the Roman emperor there. 
and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. Chapter 2, verse 9, Revelation 2, verse 9, writing to the church at Smyrna. Church at Smyrna. And he says, I know thy works and tribulation, pressure and trouble and persecution, affliction. I know your works in tribulation, poverty, but thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and thou not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Chapter 2, verse 10. Fear none of these things. Yes, this church, not, uh, not um, Pergamos, I said before, Smyrna. Verse 10, fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that ye may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. And a number of expositors uh, lengthened those ten days out to the ten persecutions under ten major emperors of the Roman Empire. Ten days, ten years, uh, the ten persecutions of the Roman emperors, which I personally believe was all true. So tribulation, so tribulation. Chapter 2 and verse 22, writing to the church at Thyatira, and in verse 22 he says, uh, concerning Jezebel, Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation. So we have this adjective added, great tribulation. Not just tribulation, but great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And then chapter 7 and verse 14, which I've already given you. These are they that are coming out of tribulation, the great one. So that's, uh, that's the uh, references to tribulation there. Now let's look at the word wrath in the book of Revelation, chapter 6, and you'll see the difference here. So the church will experience tribulation, but not the wrath of God, or the wrath of Satan. Okay, chapter 6 and verse 16, uh, They said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. You see, if they reject the blood of the Lamb then the only alternative is the wrath of the Lamb. Then in verse 17, For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? So the wrath of the Lamb, the great day of his wrath. Chapter 11 and verse 18. Chapter 11 and verse 18. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come. And the time of the dead that they should be judged and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and should destroy them which destroy the earth. So the nations were angry, thy wrath is come. Chapter 14 and verse 10. Chapter 14, all these references to the wrath of God. And uh, this one to me is the worst scripture in the total Bible concerning the wrath of God. And this is for those who receive the mark of the beast, so in verse 10 it says, The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture. In other words, it's not diluted to make it more palatable. It's poured out straight and strong, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, and so forth. So drinking of the wine of the wrath of God, it's undiluted, just straight wrath. Chapter 16 and verse 10. Chapter 16 and verse 10. Maybe that's not the verse I'm after. Just a moment. Uh, chapter 16. It's about the fierceness of the wrath of God. Um, some verse there, I thought. 
Anybody see that? Somewhere. Sixteen, verse ten. Uh, I thought I had. A, I've got a wrong reference there. Okay, let's go to the next one anyway. Chapter nineteen and verse fifteen. What's that? Chapter sixteen and verse eight. No, I was looking for the word wrath. Sixteen nineteen. That's. Yeah, that's it. Thank you. 16:19. Yes, not 9, verse 19. Thank you. Great, the great city, we looked at this last week, was divided into three parts. The cities of the nations fell. Great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Chapter 19, verse 15. Chapter 19, verse 15. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. So you see the difference there. So that's, that's just the final thing I want to say on that area. The church will experience tribulation, but the church will not go through the wrath of God. And Paul in Thessalonians uses those same two words. He says to the church at Thessalonica, uh, you will have tribulation, and God's mindful of the tribulations that you're going through, but God has not appointed us to wrath. We will be saved from the wrath of God through Christ. So in Thessalonians, the second coming epistle, he makes a distinction between those two words. All right, let's move now to the second part of our, our study here. Uh, so what I'm saying here, summarising that area, there's always been tribulation on the church in different ways, different forms, as uh, ours in the Western world is more sophisticated. In other countries where it's been under dictatorship and so forth, it's been martyrdom. Uh, but there will be a special time, we believe, I'll call the Great Tribulation before the coming of the Lord. All right, now, what we want to look at in this uh, section is this, what about the time period? On my notes I have there are three major views that arise out of the 70-week prophecy interpretation. Okay, I'm going to put this chart on up at the end, but it's just sort of too much to uh, look at for the present. But let's, uh, let's sort of just give you the three major views, and uh, you have to decide which one you believe. I'll tell you which one I believe, but um, let's put them up anyway. And they all come out of the 70-week prophecy, and I don't want to go into that, I just want to talk about this time period. So first of all, we have what is referred to as the Schofield uh, view. How many of you have a Schofield Bible? <laughs> uh, I do too, but he's dead and knows better now. Okay, or another word for this school, which is Lark and Lamb and a lot of teachers like that, Schofield. It's referred to as dispensationalism or ultra-dispensationalism. Okay, so we have this view. Then uh, number two, we have another view which is referred to as the realized view, or another, another way is put it, the, what is called the R-millennial view. In other words, there's no millennium, everything's over and done with. So that's a very strong view. And then there's another view, which is called, well, I, what did I designate this as here? Uh, no, I, 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 I've coined myself as this, okay? I've uh, put this view down as a Christian millennial view. Okay, I came up with something because they said, well, people say, well, you're not this, but we're frightened of you because we think you're this. And then these said, well, you're, you're not this, but maybe you're this. I said, no, thesis, antithesis, balance is always synthesis. I'm synthetic. 
way down the middle between two extremes. Now they're the major views, so let me just, how many have had anything on 70-week prophecy at all? Okay, so a few, but, so there is an excellent book by my, my, my friend Kevin Carr. Okay, so this is what this view basically holds. They say seven weeks of Daniel's prophecy, then 62 weeks, so I'll put that there, of the prophecy. Then they say that, uh, uh, yeah, that's, that makes 69, that's not yet. Then they say when Jesus came, Jesus ministered for three and a half years. I'll give you a diagram on this at the end. Okay, if you say please. But I want you to listen first because if I give you the sheet, you'll be reading and say, yeah, what did he say? Oh, yeah. Okay, three and a half years. Then Jesus was crucified after three and a half years ministry. Then they say the other three and a half years took place immediately after and probably finished at the death of Stephen. No, uh, no, 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 no. No, hold your charts there. That is... That is the Armill view. Okay, let's, I'm not going to eradicate that. We'll just change this over. Sorry to mess up your notes, but it does keep you awake. This is the Armill view. Okay, then we'll put the Schofield view. Okay, so the Armill view says seven weeks, 62 weeks. Jesus ministered for three and a half years, and then three and a half years after the cross, somewhere they're not certain about that, uh, and, but they say probably the 70-week prophecy finished at the death of Stephen. Then what they do here is they say, okay, in this period of time is the church, and then at the end of this church here, Jesus will come and will go to... N-H-N-E, new heavens and new earth, and live happily ever after. No millennial kingdom. So that's our mill, no mill. They're my friends. and I, I have good friends in all these schools. I laugh at them, so if you don't want a thousand years rest, go without. I need one. And then they tell me, well, the devil's bound now. So if he's bound carrying on it, who's carrying on his job? Well, he's on a long chain. Then I tell them, pull it. So I've got friends... Uh, in, all, in all these areas, see, so, you know, uh, we, we had a three-day uh, prophetic conference in Portland once on this, and uh, they had another brother, who's strong arm Mill and myself, present our different views, because they felt uh, we were the only ones that could keep sanctified. You probably heard about the two guys who were fighting over the doctrine of the second blessing. They fought so much that they proved neither of them had it. So uh, my R. Mill brother and myself, they said we were the only ones that could keep sanctified and agree to disagree agreeably. So he's enjoying his thousand years rest. I'm looking forward to mine, but we're still good buddies. Okay, so, you know, you'll hear different views because some believe there's seven, some believe there's ten and a half, some believe three. And I say, look, you can have as many years tribulation as you want. I don't want any. Help yourself. Add them on. Okay, so that's basically our middle. Now, the Schofield view goes like this. Uh, seven, seven weeks, 62 weeks, most all the views agree on this, 69 weeks. It's the 70th week, that's the controversy. So what they do here, they say Jesus was crucified, they don't have any time there, and then they say, okay, the church comes in here for about 2,000 years, and then this 70th week is down here, this end of the age, and it's broken up into two, three and a half. So they say three and a half years here, three and a half years here, and that in the first three and a half years, the Antichrist comes in. First of all, we have the secret rapture here. 
at the beginning of the seven years tribulation. And then Antichrist makes the covenant with the Jews in the midst of the week. He breaks the covenant. And then the last three and a half years of the great tribulation. Then at the end of the three and a half years or the seven years altogether, uh, they say Jesus comes and then we have thousand years here where we live happily ever after. And they have what we call, what I call, a Jewish millennium. Maybe you'd like to make a note of this because this is not on the notes of, of, I'm giving you. It's a Jewish millennium. What do I mean by that? Now, this group, they say there's no millennium. We're in it now. This is a thousand years rest. Satan is bound. This group, Schofield, say that there's going to be a Jewish millennium. What do I mean by that? That there's going to be a rebuilt temple, Ezekiel's temple. Animal sacrifice is going to be offered again. We're going to go back to circumcision, Sabbath days, Levitical priesthood, bells and smells, incense and nonsense, and everybody's going to go up to Jerusalem to keep the Feast of Tabernacles, a Jewish millennium. Everybody understand that? <clears throat> okay, now, this is what... I'll take the blame on this one. Okay, this is what I believe. So I said before, thesis, antithesis, balance is synthesis. So, have seven weeks here. 62 weeks, that's of years. Then, I agree with this here, that Jesus ministered for three and a half years, and I haven't got time to give you references on that, I'll deal with it more fully in the text there, three and a half years. Then Daniel simply says, the interpreter, actually Gabriel, Gabriel he interprets the 70-week prophecy and he actually brings uh, Daniel to the midst of the week. And he says, in the midst of the week, he shall be cut off and cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. This school said it's Antichrist. This says it's Christ. He's the only one that can cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease by his own perfect sacrifice. Then it says, for the overspreading of abominations, he will make desolate even unto the consummation. And last week and the previous weeks, we've looked at the fourfold desolations. Desolation of the temple, desolation of the city, desolation of the people, desolation of the land. Jesus confirmed all those things that Jesus made that. Your house is left unto you desolate. When you see Jerusalem companies with armies, know that the desolation thereof is not. And they will be scattered till the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Desolation, Jesus confirms that. So right in here we would put the church ears corresponding with this. Now, where we would differ between this, I would agree with this first half here, but I would not agree with that here. Then I would agree with three and a half years here. Three and a half years here. Not and let me explain this. This is what I call, I, I think the Lord gave me this, a Christian millennium. And by that I mean, I don't believe in rebuilt temples, animal sacrifices, reinstitution of the Mosaic Covenant, or bells and smells, incense and nonsense, none of that. It's going to be a Christian millennium that saints possess the kingdom. So they are basically the views. Now you'll notice each view, the major views, whether it's our meal, Schofield, Christian meal, they all believe about the seven weeks and the 62, uh, but it's around the 70th week. That's why it's called Daniel's 70th week prophecy or the 70 weeks. It's, this, it's the 70th week that is the problem. Was it all fulfilled back there? Our mill says so. Is it yet to be fulfilled with seven years tribulation down here? Schofield and company says yes, it is. And Christian Mill says, this is right half 
this is half right, three and a half years, three and a half years here. Now, you might like to make a note of this. Uh, in, uh, in my study on the book of Revelation, which we're doing on eschatological events, there are 57 sevens in the book of Revelation, 57 sevens in all, either implicit, like seven trumpets, seven churches, seven vials, or seven sayings, or whatever. There's 57 sevens. The only seven that's not there is seven years. It is nowhere to be found in the book of Revelation. Now, as I've told you before, I used to teach seven years tribulation and had tremendous anointings on it till I found I was wrong. Then I had to apologize. Okay? So I was a strong Schofield man because that's all I'd ever been taught. Sounded good, but when people challenged me, I didn't know what to say. And you see, they said, show me seven years in the book of Revelation. It's nowhere to be found. Now what I'm going to put on the overhead that you can take down, I want to give you eight references to three and a half years references to three and a half years, none to seven. Now, as I said, you know, we will have different uh, people, have different views. This is the R. Mill view, and I've got lots of friends in that school. We agree to disagree. They say the 70th week's all over and done with, Kevin. You can't put 2,000 years in between like you guys. It's a continuous prophecy. So I've got friends, and we, we agree, agree to disagree. Still good friends. I think I have some friends left on this side. They say there's seven years tribulation down here, and I say, well, show me seven years in the book of Revelation. Well, they say, well, we can show you three and a half. Well, I said, show me the other three and a half. Well, it's somewhere there, because you see, this is the subtlety of this. The secret rapture depends on the seven years tribulation, because they say the secret rapture takes place at the beginning of the seven years tribulation, or maybe in the middle. And when I say, well, show it to me, then they're inclined to lose their second blessing. I said, well, you can have seven years. Three and a half's enough for me. In fact, I don't want any. So, have that. But then, I know this might sound conceited, but I've had nobody been able to refute. In the three days prophetic conference we had dealing with these things, trying to come to some unanimity and unity of faith on these things, the R. Mill brother, who's an excellent brother, he said, I, I don't agree with you, Kevin. If I, if I agreed with you, I'd have to say I'm wrong. But he said, I can't answer you. I don't know what to say. I'll have to rethink it. I'll have to restudy it. This is what I gave him. How are we doing on time? Okay, I want you to turn to these scriptures and I'd like you to look at them with me. I'd like you to take them down. And uh, I want you to be convinced one way or the other. So let's turn to Daniel chapter 29. Now, in this section, what we're looking at particularly is the length or the duration of what I believe is the Great Tribulation just before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, as I was saying here, if you, if you mess up this seven years here, you sort of rupture the rapture, the secret one. Now, I believe in a rapture, but not a secret one. All right, what did I say to look up? Daniel 9. Now, we read it at the beginning of our session here. How are you doing out there? Just want to hear you breathing, that's all. All right, now in Daniel, Daniel 7, we haven't got time to milk it, but uh, you'll notice in verse 24, 70 weeks or 77s, the word week in the Hebrew is simply 77s, which is 490 years. 
So 490 years are determined as a period of time marked off upon your people and upon thy holy city, so Judah and Jerusalem. The 70-week prophecy involves Jerusalem. We dealt with Jerusalem last week, okay, and that period. And then he says six things are to happen, finish the transgression, make an end of sins, make reconciliation for iniquity, bring in everlasting righteousness, seal up the vision of prophecy to anoint the most holy. Then he gives a starting point for the prophecy, Verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment, not to restore and build the temple, for those who know anything about this a bit, but to restore and build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, and if you can sort of flip your minds back to what we did on Cyrus and the Babylonian captivity, the fall of Babylon, and Cyrus giving the commandment to build Jerusalem and rebuild the temple, all that. So from the going forth of that commandment, a point of time unto Messiah shall be, listen to it here, and superimpose this on here, seven weeks and 62 weeks. In other words, from the going forth of a commandment here, a point of time unto the Messiah, unto the Messiah shall be 69 weeks, 434 years to be exact. 434. Yes. All right. That's right. Is that right? I've got to do my All right, 69 by 7 is what? 7 nines are... 7 nines are what? Help me! It's a long time since I went to school. And 7, 6 is 42, it's 483 years. Thank you, I knew that was right. Yeah, 483 years. And uh, we haven't got time, as I said, to milk this. But whether you date it from the baptism of Jesus in the River Jordan where he begins his ministry and the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, whether you go backwards that way, you come back to a particular date, or whether you go from that particular date, which I believe B4, BC 457, this way it gives you 483 years. So whether you work backwards or forwards, that period is fulfilled. Most agree pretty much on that, regardless. It's the 70th week's the problem. All right, then he says, verse 26, and after three score and two weeks, and by that he means that would include after the seven and after the, but after this second period that I've divided here, the 62 weeks, what will happen? Messiah shall be cut off. Well, when was Messiah cut off? His crucifixion. He was cut off, but not for himself. Then notice this, and this is a difference here. The people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And... In AD 70, as we've already seen in previous sessions, the prince that came was Prince Titus and the people of Prince that come were the Roman armies. They destroyed the city and the sanctuary and then what? The end thereof shall be with flood and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. Verse 27, he, now see, this view says he is the Antichrist who's going to make a covenant for one week. I say, no, he is the Messiah who confirms the covenant with many for one week and in the midst of the week, what happens? He causes the sacrifice and oblation to cease and for the overspreading of abominations he makes it desolate even unto the end, the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. All right, so it, what I'm saying here is that the angel Gabriel takes Daniel to the cross and leaves him there. 
Now, let's pick up the next one. I want you to go back to Daniel 7 here. How are we doing? Daniel 7. Now, Daniel 7 in my Bible comes before Daniel 9. Would you all agree with that? Takes me a lot of fasting to get things like that. So, Daniel 7, verse 25. And in this, before Daniel has even got the 70th week prophecy, as it's referred to, you'll notice, I'll pick up in verse 24, just because of the language, and the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise. So, ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings that shall arise. And another shall arise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and shall subdue three kings. And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until, notice the expression here, a time, and times, and half a time, the dividing of time. A time is a year, times is two years, and half a time is half a year. Time, times, and half a time. Now, the saints are given over the, this, ma- this uh, horn here, which I believe is the Antichrist, uh, for three and a half years. Why doesn't the angelic interpreter say seven years back there? So before Daniel even gets the 70-week prophecy, he's got this period of three and a half years of persecution and wearing out the saints of the Most High. Now, let's go to Daniel chapter 12. Now Daniel 9, he gets the full prophecy. But Gabriel only takes him to the midst of the cross where Messiah is cut off, where he causes sacrifice and ablation to cease. He leaves him at the cross. He doesn't say anything about that last three and a half years. Now come to Daniel 12 and listen to the problem. The key word in this, in this uh, chapter here is the word time. Uh, listen to it, verse 1. And at that time... Shall Michael stand up, the great prince, with standard for the children of the people, and there shall be a time of trouble, referring, I believe, to the great tribulation, such as never was since there was a nation of that same time. And at that time, thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. Many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame, everlasting contempt. But now verse 4. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. That's what we began our series on, the time of the end. Many shall run to and for our knowledge shall be increased. Then in verse 6, just for time's sake here, one said to the man clothed in him, which was upon the waters of the river, how long shall it be to the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in him, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven, and swear by him that lives forever and ever that it shall be for a, here it is again, a time, times and half. And when he shall have accomplished the scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. Now, listen to the next verse, because Daniel, though he got the 70-week prophecy, he did not understand the last half. So in verse 8, I heard, but I understood not. Then said I, O my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed to the time of the end. And then verse 11, and from the time that the daily sacrifice. Now, this is what I see. So I've given you three references, what I believe are three references Daniel. Daniel gets, first of all, Daniel 7.25, the saints that will be persecuted, pressure, tribulation, three and a half years, time, times and half a time. He's got that. Daniel 9, he gets 70 weeks prophecy. 
And the angelic interpreter Gabriel breaks it up into six weeks, uh, 62 weeks, the 70th week which he chops in half in the midst of the week. So he's taken the midst of the week, Messiah's cut off, and Daniel says, okay, I've got this half week here, and I've got six and, and, and 62, seven and 62, now half it. What about this other last half of the 70th week? That's what he's really saying. I just can't put these together. Then in Daniel 12, he again is given this time, times and half a time. And he said, I heard but I understood. When's going to be the end? I just, he couldn't make the connection between this time, times and half a time in Daniel 7, time, times and half a time in Daniel 12, the 69 and a half weeks he's got here and this apparently missing half week. He just, just but he said, hey, that's sealed to the time of the end. Now we found where the time of the end was. Now remember, I want you to go to the book of Revelation because it's John who swallows the book of Daniel and picks up where Daniel left off. So let's go to Revelation chapter... Uh, why don't you go to Revelation 10, just uh, watching our time here. Time, times, and half a time. And over time. If, if, if you want to be real studious on this, I'd encourage you to make a comparison between uh, Daniel 12 and Revelation 10. Compare those two chapters because I want to make a statement here and not take time to prove it, but you could prove it yourself. In Daniel 12 we saw the angel with his hands swear up to heaven and his hand to heaven and earth uh, lift up and swear by it'll be time, time to now for time. He hears two saints talking and so forth and he hears time, time, and half a time he didn't understand and he said, go your way Daniel, this is sealed to the time of the end. Now in Revelation chapter 10, just uh, briefly summarising it, Daniel see, I mean John sees a little book open, not a little book sealed and he sees the angel, right foot on the sea, left foot on the earth and the angel says, I want you to go and eat the little book in verse 8. And he says, give me the little book and it'll be sweet in your, uh, belly, uh, it'll be sweet in your mouth as honey but uh, bitter in your belly. It's what I call God's Chinese meal, sweet and sour. <laughs> so John has this Chinese meal and he eats the little book. Let me, I, I have no problem with saying this, the little book that John eats is the book of Daniel which was sealed to the time of the end. Now why do I say that? Because chapter 11, chapter 12, chapter 12, chapter 12, chapter 13 immediately talk about three and a half years, not seven. Immediately talk about the beast with seven heads and the lion, the, the, lion, the lion's head, the bare feet, I mean the feet of a bear, well bare feet are feet of a bear, uh, leopard's belly, ten horns and so forth. He immediately swallows the book of Daniel and starts prophesying it. So I, I, I have no fear of contradiction on this one that in Daniel, uh, John, Revelation 10, John is eating the book of Daniel that was shut up and sealed to the time of the end. It's a little open book. The seals have been broken. All right, now chapter 11, verse 2. But, which we've already mentioned previously, bringing our jigsaw puzzle together. But the court which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot. Now the expression here is 42 months. 42 months equals what? Three and a half years, not seven years. 42 months, three and a half years. Verse 3, the next reference. 
and I will give power to my two witnesses and they shall prophesy 1260 days. And 1260 days, uh, yes, that's right, 1260 days is 42 months and 42 months is three and a half years. They're not going to prophesy seven years. Three and a half. And then go to chapter 12, 6, the next reference to this period of time. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared of God that they should feed her there 1260 days. Three and a half years, 42 months, all the same period of time. Revelation chapter 12, 14, the next reference to three and a half years. You'll notice not one reference to seven years. And see, all those who believe in seven years, I challenge them now because I, I know what they believe. I know when I used to teach it until somebody put me on the spot and said chapter and verse, Kevin, so I had to relearn. But I still love them as long as they love me. Don't lose their second blessing. Okay, Revelation chapter, what did I say? 12, 14. Now listen to the language here. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness into her place where she is nourished for a... Oh, where'd you get this language from, John? You're pinching from Daniel. Yeah, I swallowed his book. For a time and times and half a time from the face of the servant. Serpent, three and a half years. Chapter 13 and verse 5, the next reference. Chapter 13, verse 5, and referring to the, uh, let me throw this in while it's in my little mind. Remember the angel in uh, Revelation 10, he has one foot on the sea and one foot on the earth. While in Revelation chapter 13 you have two beasts. One comes up out of the sea and one comes out, out of the earth. So he has his foot on the earth, his foot on the sea. How many are glad that Jesus has got everything under his feet? All his enemies under his feet. That's anticipative. So verse 5, And there was given unto him a mouth, referring, I believe, to the Antichrist, speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given him to continue forty and two months. Verse 7, It was given him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Well, that's another story. But forty-two months. So what, what I would do, let's see how we do Here it is. Yeah, okay. So everybody clear? I mean, whether you believe me or not, just say it's clear. Is it clear as mud or clear? Okay. So if we left the Daniel 9 one out, which is the great controversy, there's still one, two, three, four, five, six, seven clear references to three and a half years, never one to seven. So I say to my friends, I say, okay, Revelation has 57 sevens in it, find me seven years. No one in the world can find it for me. They say, well, it's somewhere there. I say, yeah. Where? They can show me three and a half. And they forget the three and a half years of Christ's ministry. See, they miss that first half. And because they make this anti-Christ, not Christ. So this is what I've done. See this period of time here? All right, you don't have to take this down. Okay, so bringing all this together... This is what Kevin John Connor and his crowd believes. Okay, the beginning, three and a half years, the first half of the 70-week prophecy where Messiah is cut off in the midst of the week, 
causes sacrifice and oblation to cease by his own sacrifice and oblation. For the overspreading of abominations, we have the coming in of the church, approximately 2,000 years, no time setting. Gospel of the kingdom is to be preached to all the world for witness to all nations before the end comes. Then we come to the last half of the 70th week, the great tribulation, and here's the significant thing. Revelation chapter 11, 12, 13, mention this period of time, um, one... Two, three, four, five times. It's mentioned in Daniel three times. Two clear, and the one the controversial, but I, I don't feel it's unclear. And then the key to this period is Revelation chapter 11, 12, 13, give you the time period, three and a half years, not seven years. Chapter 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. All those chapters refer to a person who is called the beast that has seven heads and ten horns which all came out of Daniel chapter 7. And the rest of this, these chapters here are the language of the book of Daniel. John swallows the book and he now prophesies the book of Daniel, the rest of it. So the first mention of the beast is in chapter 11. The last mention of the beast is here, chapter 19, the second coming. Everybody's agreed on that. Then we have Revelation chapter 20, which I have called a Christian millennium in contrast to a Jewish millennium. And at the end of the thousand years, we have Revelation 21 and 22, a new heavens and new earth where we live happily ever after. Now, let me finish on this. If I can see so much light around here. This, this, view, this view here, the Armill view, believes that the rapture and the second coming of Christ are at one and the same time. At the end of the church age, there's no millennium. This view here, the Schofield and dispensational view, believe that the rapture, secret rapture, takes place at the beginning of seven years or in the middle of seven years and the coming of Christ at the end of the seven years. This view believes that the rapture and the second coming of Christ take place at the end of the three and a half years. Then we go into a Christian millennium. All right, the chart to end all charts. That's the three views I've given you. Seven weeks. Would you like this now? Uh, 62 weeks, the church age, half a week, half a week, rapture here, revelation here, Jewish millennium, thousand years. That's the dispensational or Jewish millennial view. You'll notice it's not to scale. Two, the continuous and realised millennial view, which is our millennium, seven weeks, 62 weeks, half a week here to the crucifixion of Christ, half a week to the death of Stephen or the, uh, or the uh, destruction of Jerusalem. They're very uncertain about that half week because they won't listen to me. And then we are in the kingdom now and we come to the second coming in the eternal state, no millennium, and then the Christian millennial view, which is KJC, seven weeks, 62 weeks, half a week where Jesus ministered. Uh, one, uh, for those who are a little bit more students, why don't you put Luke 13 down on this. Remember the parable of the fig tree? Uh, Jesus came and the fig tree had no fruit. He said, cut it down. He said, listen to it, these three years I've come and I've been sending this and there's no fruit. And the, the, and the one in charge said, oh please, just leave it one more year. One more year would have made what? Four years. He said, these three years I come and I've been looking for fruit. Another year will be, did you know John the Baptist ministered for six months, half a year, and Jesus ministered for three and a half years? And he said, if it doesn't bear fruit, cut it down. 
That's exactly what happened in AD 70. Okay? And then AD 70, destruction, 2,000 years, approximately the church age. Last half of the week where all these references would sort of, if you want to extend it, would go in there and I believe the rapture and revelation at the same time and then the Christian millennium. I hope you've enjoyed these things and learned something tonight. Did I hear an amen? Oh, I was getting a little bit deaf there. All right, you've had your share for tonight. Let's all stand. And uh, if you want to receive a little diagram here, it's right here at the end of our prayer. You always say prayer for grace, okay? Let's all stand. And, And please, you know, if you hear different people with different views, don't get upset about it. Don't you, you just say, look, I'm a pan-millennialist. It'll all pan out, regardless of what Kevin believes or Mickey Mouse or Donald Duck. It's all going to pan out the way God's got it on his chart. Okay? But don't lose your second blessing over it. Don't lose your sanctification over it. It's not my fault if I'm right, is it? <laughs> okay. All right. Something to think about. Father, we just thank you once again for the privilege of studying your word together and uh, meditating upon these divine things. And uh, Father, even as Daniel received the 70-week prophecy through prayer and fasting and seeking your face, and you gave him understanding, even as John on the Isle of Patmos was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day when you gave to him this revelation. Father, we realise that just through prayer, fasting, seeking your face, being in the Spirit, uh, that you'll unfold these things more clearly to the church. Help us, Father, to meditate upon the things we've received tonight and uh, regardless, Lord, help us always to be ready for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and live a life that's worthy of your name. And we ask these things in the wonderful and glorious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody said... Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books and his ministry.